As a believer, reading God's Word is a critical part of your daily spiritual journey. And because it's so important, we've created a unique new resource to help you immerse yourself in biblical truth and open your eyes to all God's Word has for you. It's a free PDF download called The Word One-to-One that takes you on a guided journey through John chapter one. With biblical text and short commentary, each page provides insights that will strengthen your faith in an easy to read guided format. There's truly no other resource like this. Download your free PDF copy today at premierinsight.org forward slash resources. That's premierinsight.org forward slash resources. Matters of Life and Death, a podcast from Premier Unbelievable. Well, hello and welcome to another episode of Matters of Life and Death. As always, I'm Tim White and I'm joined by my dad, John White. Hi, Dad. Hi, Tim. And uh, before we start our conversation today, we're going to spend a bit of time just flagging up that what we're going to be talking about today is the painful topic of baby loss and miscarriage. Um, And uh, we want to stay right at the top. That might not be suitable for everyone to listen to, particularly for those for whom it might have affected you or those you love personally. So if that's you, please feel free to skip this episode and we'll see you next week. Um, But also we want to say that we're we're very aware that this is a conversation between two men about uh, uh, an issue which, you know, primarily but not exclusively does affect women. And so uh, we want to say that we're aware of that. And uh, we spent a lot of time thinking and reading stories from women and, and others. Um, on top of that, miscarriage and baby loss, while primarily something experienced by women, is not solely experienced by women. And actually, every pregnancy inevitably begins with a man and a woman together every every child has a father and so men are involved like like whether they like it or not uh there's often you know men are involved trying to support their partners who have gone through baby loss and and miscarriage um but also as we'll discuss later on themselves often very directly affected by the tragedy um and i think we both feel quite strongly don't we that actually this is not an issue which should be kind of hived off as a quote unquote women's issue but because it affects everyone, men and women alike, it, it should be discussed um, across the, the kind of social space and not kind of relegated to as a as a second, secondary concern only only for women to think about. Absolutely. So, um, I mean, as a paediatrician who cared a lot for many dying babies, uh, the the issue about stillbirth, uh, neonatal death is something that's been very close to me professionally. But it is interesting how this, um, I mean, what's actually triggered us to, to take this, uh, to do this podcast is the fact that it just uh, last week, uh, it was Baby Loss Awareness Week, which uh, is an annual event uh, organized by a coalition of organizations um, who are involved, particularly SANS, which is the Stillbirth and Neonatal Death Society. And... Um, they try to raise the profile of uh, miscarriage and stillbirth uh, and and raise awareness of it. And, um, you know, this is something that I think is a really important um, uh, topic. I mean, 
I think they haven't done incredibly well in getting much traction in the in the public arena. I don't know. Were you aware of this before before we started talking about it? Unfortunately, not. No, I'm afraid to say. I mean, I've I've come across some of the charities involved before. You kind of sometimes hear about them and their fundraising efforts, but no, I'm afraid to say. Baby Loss Awareness Week totally passed me by, and I suspect probably quite a lot of other people, unfortunately, because I think it's a really creditable effort to, to say actually. You know, this is an issue which has been in the shadows of our society for a long time, and it's long past time that we brought it out into the light, as it were. Yes. So uh, I think one one way in, which is just is just to see read some of the stories on the Baby Loss Awareness Week. We'll put in a link in the show notes, uh, and we recommend that you go and visit the website and just read some of the stories there, which are which are quite moving and, and striking. Yeah, that's right. Um, we wanted to share a handful of those just to kind of set the tone. Um, uh, the one that jumped out at me when I was reading some of these stories was um, from a, a woman, a mother called Elsie. Uh, and she um, uh, is 18 and she experienced two miscarriages, uh, a baby called Lyra, who died at 11 weeks, and an, another um, son called Lionel, who died at four weeks. And she was just 16 years old um, at the time. Uh, and she she wrote this. The staff at the hospital uh, were really lovely at the early pregnancy unit. The midwife, when I found out that I lost, she was even crying. But I found that there's no support after you leave hospital. I tried lots of different places and people. Some were helpful and some were not. A lot of places don't feel right for me because everyone was a lot older than me. So I didn't relate it with their lives. People always blame it on me due to my age, but it's not my fault. And I know that. People just care about my age and not my grief. People say, at least you were young, or at least you will live better. Having a miscarriage and a chemical pregnancy is really difficult, especially at my age, because no one understands or can relate. A lot of people were like, you've got the future, it doesn't matter. It can feel like sometimes with older people, they're like, oh my god, we're here for you, but that support isn't there for a young person. I'm fed up with at least this, at least that. No mum ever deserves that. Every mama deserves to have their grief accepted. Their babies don't deserve to be forgotten about. Their babies are valid. They existed. They are real and they happened. They existed if only for a minute or an hour or a week or a month or even half a year. Those babies lived and that deserves to be known. It's a very passionate and and moving um, cry, isn't it? And... Uh, it's striking that you know these are very early miscarriages, and yet uh, for this lady Elsie, these are two babies. They've got names, and she wants to for society to recognise that these babies existed and were significant. Yeah, and that there's something. There's almost a kind of re-traumatisation. You know, you have the initial shock and grief of of the miscarriage, but then when that's not acknowledged in the way that you believe it should be when that's dismissed you know people say well you're young you'll get pregnant again it actually in some sense she appears to be saying is a kind of re re a second grief a re-traumatization which is a really important i think for those of us you know to, to talking to people who've experienced miscarriage to remember that's right i mean there's another story on the baby loss awareness week website joe's story and she says, between 2010 to 2018, I lost 15 babies. 
We worked with fantastic medical professionals over the years, but no one could ever find out why we were losing each pregnancy. It was the not knowing that was one of the most difficult aspects of the losses. I went into every pregnancy with crippling anxiety that things would go wrong. Each pregnancy, I set little milestones to try and focus on the immediate and not fixate on how unlikely it was that I would make it to full term. Reading stories from other people who were going through similar losses helped me to feel a little less alone, which is why I want to share my story. Eventually, we now have two beautiful rainbow babies and will feel eternally grateful, but the grief and heartbreak of those 15 losses have fundamentally changed me forever. Hmm. I mean... I don't know how how it feels to you, but I'm kind of almost in awe of of people like Joe who can, you know, go through 15 miscarriages before they manage to successfully kind of carry a child to term, and and the kind of determination and perseverance and the the drive to 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 keep on living with that grief and that suffering is um yeah it's absolutely astonishing, remarkable to me. And I I am aware that. Uh... You know, not not all these stories end happily, and and there are many examples, mm. tragically, of couples who desperately want to have a child, have a recurrent series of miscarriages, and in the end, uh, feel that they can they're never going to be parents. And um, I, I think that this is something we really need to be sensitive about. Those of us who are parents and have young babies, you know, and. I think it's it's a continuing problem in the in the church, isn't it? That often yeah. local churches are very child centred. There's a lot of celebration about babies and families, and and we just tend to forget the people sitting there who yeah. have had this continual story of miscarriage and of what they see as as losing babies. Yeah, and we mentioned this, didn't we, when we've in previous podcasts around infertility and reproductive treatment that. For for reason for whatever reason, the evangelical church has kind of gone down a bit of a cul-de-sac in kind of idolizing the kind of nuclear family and the kind of squeaky clean mum, dad, two point two children, Labrador, and semi-detached home, and <laughs> and um, and that's that's painful enough for someone for a couple perhaps who have been trying to conceive for years without success, but even more kind of hard to sit in the pews as someone who might have had a series of miscarriages um to see to be spend so much time in an institution that is so geared around as you say the kind of happy bouncing babies on their mother's knees yeah so i think one of the interesting uh, things just to, is to take a kind of biographical and uh, historical view of, of miscarriage because of course this reality has been around since the dawn of time uh, statistics actually are very hard to come by and, and, and it's very difficult to get very reliable statistics. But a reasonably reputable statistic is that one in five of pregnancies will end in a miscarriage and one in six of people who know they are pregnant. So so this is this is common. And yet until now, until very recently, it was it was largely suppressed, wasn't it? And just put 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 side of something that was intensely private and not to be discussed yeah definitely I definitely you definitely got the sense kind of growing up at least I did in the 90s and the noughties that you were aware that this was a thing that sometimes happened but you only really came across it very removed you know you never I never had people tell me you know oh my mum and dad had a miscarriage or or even I had a miscarriage I'm talking to some older older generations it was 
it was seen as, you know, well, that's not, you know, that's not real bereavement. That's not real grief. It's upsetting, sure. But, you know, you'll get over it and get pregnant next time and life kind of moves on. And it wasn't really, it felt like the language around it didn't really acknowledge or recognize what impact it might have been having on these mothers. Yeah, so I think there was both a great deal of insensitivity, uh, including, I think, especially from male medical professionals, or medical professionals in general, I think both male and female, probably didn't uh, have the kind of understanding of the emotional significance which which we now have. But I think also it was just regarded as intensely private. I mean, my parents... uh, we have four children. They have four children. I was one of four. There was a big gap between number three and number four. And it was only when I was, you know, probably in my late teens that I worked out or from hints they dropped that um, my mother had had a miscarriage uh, after the third pregnancy uh, between the third and the fourth child. And, um, and that this had been a very, painful and difficult experience uh but it was entirely hushed up and not talked about and i think they would have felt it was entirely inappropriate to talk about it in public yeah and and, and on one level i think it's important to recognize that's an understandable response and maybe for a lot of women the the sense of privacy wasn't because you know society was stigmatizing and, and silencing them but actually because they didn't want to talk about it they didn't find it helpful right. to bring right. in wide the wider networks of friends and families you know what could be done ultimately it was an irreversible unpredictable tragedy um and so maybe you know a lot of people felt actually this is not something i want to kind of expose my vulnerabilities to the world so you know Fast forward two generations. What what's your, you know, amongst young marrieds, people mm. trying to have babies and so on. What what's your perception now? Yeah, I generation? think it's remarkably different. I mean, I, I acknowledge that my kind of circle of friends and family at similar age are not in any way representative of the of the whole generation, and particularly, you know, the vast majority of them would be kind of practicing Christians, and potentially that shapes how people respond to miscarriage but certainly there is a there's much greater openness you know off the top of my head I could think of five six seven couples I can I know of who have experienced miscarriage who have either kind of just outright told us sometimes during the time because they were looking for kind of pastoral support for care uh, and more often maybe a little after the time has passed and it kind of is just mentioned as one of those things you know you know, last year was tough for us because, you know, on this point, you know, we have suffered a miscarriage. So there's certainly much, much less of a sense that this is by default a thing that it is inappropriate to talk about with other people or a thing that is so private that it's, 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 it should not be shared. I'm sure there are even more people who, is, who have, I know who have had miscarriages who haven't told me about it. So mm. Um, mm. I'm sure the numbers are even higher. But there's certainly quite a striking change in tone, I think, in that there is a sense in which both that this is not a private grief, but something that can be shared, but also actually that this is a a real grief. You know, this is not just an unfortunate medical accident, but that, you know, these people are real parents of a real baby. And particularly for those of us who are Christians, you know, that that child probably, you know, is with God in some, in some sense. And, you know, mm. Maybe there are different views about this, but you know, I think a lot of people talk about the fact that you know, I'm I'm not I'm not a father of two. I'm actually a father of three. You know, there's two right on earth with me, but I know there's a third mm. son or daughter who I'll meet one day in 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 the new creation. So, 
that's quite a striking sense that actually this is a this is a real valid experience of bereavement you know maybe not the same as losing a child who had actually been born but certainly not something that should just be kind of swept under the rug as one of those things yeah and, and the statistics on mental health are really very striking um so um uh, the government commissioned an independent pregnancy loss review uh, and, and the report came out in July 2023. And again, we'll, we'll link to that in the, in the notes. But it's a very detailed uh, review. And uh, one of the things it, it discusses is, is the evidence of, of uh, the impact of pregnancy loss on mental health. And for instance, a large recent study, 2019, 29% of women met the criteria for PTSD one month after early pregnancy loss. This decreased to 18% nine nine months after the loss. Um, Other statistics, 41% of women reported they suffered PTSD for a time following baby loss. 36% of women reported they still were suffering with PTSD. And 50% of women reported they suffered clinical depression following baby loss. Yeah, really, um, really stark figures there, aren't they, about just how um, incredibly significant the impact. And this is kind of tells the lie to the kind of the old way of dealing with miscarriage, mm. because, you know, even putting aside the broader changes in society around, you know, like emotional openness and things like that, any medical event which was causing you know these kind of mental health impacts should have been of greater concern to to the medical professionals than it was you know if something else was happening to women and causing 50 percent or whatever it was to experience ptsd like it would have been taken much more seriously so i think there was a, a there was a bit of a dereliction of duty there yeah and one of the interesting uh questions is what's the impact on men what's the impact on partners hmm um, and that seems to have been much less studied, but the, certainly there's anecdotal evidence that some men uh, find it desperately painful and difficult uh, to come to terms with the miscarriage. So it simply isn't true that this is something that just affects women. Definitely, definitely. I mean, what else did you make of the pregnancy loss review? There were some interesting recommendations, wasn't there, about recognising and acknowledging a baby loss particularly around this idea of creating a kind of official um certificate yeah so this is there's a very strong drive amongst many many uh, parents who who've lost uh, a baby early on in pregnancy to have an official recognition of the child's existence they they find it extremely painful understandably that it's like the world just moves on and says, yeah, well, okay, that's your private loss, but really, you know, th- there's no official recognition that this life ever existed. So historically, uh, you could only get a, a death certificate if the child had actually shown signs of life after birth. And then there was a stillbirth certificate, which was if the child was born after 24 weeks gestation, but born dead. And um, it's only more recently that the, um, you know, the certification criteria have been loosened and made more 
applicable to early miscarriage. But um, the the proposal, interestingly, from the Pregnancy Loss Review was that it ought to be possible to, for you to have a formal official government certificate for a miscarriage at any gestational age, including the possibility of naming the baby. But also the same should apply to historic cases so that you ought to be able to say, you know, I had a miscarriage some years ago. This was never been recognised. I would like the government to issue a formal certificate. So quite a radical proposal, really. But I, I can see what's driving it, this this need to to um, to have a public recognition that there was there was a baby there. There was someone there. Yeah. And there was an interesting line I was just reading from. Uh, the foreword by one of the review's authors, a, a woman called Zoe Clark Coates, who helps run um, Saying Goodbye, which is one of the biggest kind of charities uh, supporting people who've gone through baby loss. And, and she talks about her own experience, about how her and her husband um, lost five children and how the kind of injustice she feels that they don't appear on the kind of family tree, you know, that they're kind of a, a, an absent, a silence, when from her perspective, these are just as much her children as all of her other children who actually, you know, are alive today. So I can certainly understand the kind of the injustice that is felt when, when, when it's kind of um, there's, they exist only in your memories, you know, they, they don't, maybe, you know, maybe they don't have a, a grave or a, a site that you can visit that, you know, there's, there's no recognition of the significance of that life, even if it was short. Yeah. And it, I think there's still a great deal of work to do. The, the review, a lot of the review is making recommendations for professionals. Mm. And there are repeated complaints that professionals are insensitive, that hospitals um, don't recognise the, the significance of, for instance, if, if a woman uh, comes because of vaginal, you know, a pregnant woman comes to vaginal bleeding, comes to an A&E department, and an ultrasound scan is done and it shows that in fact the baby has died then how is the woman treated in the A&E department and and I mean you can see the challenge can't you you know it's a busy it's maybe it's the middle of the night there are all kinds of things going on um, the pregnancy loss review is is arguing that hospitals should have special procedures for this uh eventuality they should have separate rooms you know that the woman should be treated with sensitivity and offered support and emotional care and 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 so on um and i i i think there's a lot to do in terms of raising the awareness just amongst health professionals let alone amongst the general public Before we rejoin the rest of today's podcast, I've got a very special offer for you to help you have an even more meaningful spiritual experience this Easter. As you know, N.T. Wright is without doubt one of the greatest Christian thinkers and apologists of our time. And some of Tom Wright's answers to questions about Jesus' death, resurrection and return are some of the most poignant and thought-provoking. That's why we've created a brand new downloadable devotional resource that's perfect for the Easter season featuring these questions and Tom's answers. This five-day devotional journey titled Jesus' Death, Resurrection and Return is only available to friends like you as our thanks for your gift today. And remember, 
Your support is truly critical to help us keep these resources and podcasts like Ask NT Write Anything and Unbelievable Going Strong because this ministry is completely funded by friends like you. So please give the very best gift you can today and make sure to download your copy of Jesus' Death, Resurrection and Return devotional at premierinsight.org forward slash matters of life and death. That's premierinsight.org forward slash matters of life and death. Thank you. Listening to Matters of Life and Death, a podcast from Premier Unbelievable. Definitely. I mean, what kind of training did you have as a doctor on how to handle miscarriage or pregnancy loss? Admittedly, some time ago now, but <laughs> <laughs> yes, it did. Well, the short answer was none at all. I think. I mean, you know, it was known as a as a phenomenon. But from a medical point of view, all you're worried about is the complications. So, you know, you're worried about, yes, infection, hemorrhage, uh, you know, what was called retained products of conception, where you would then need to have a, a surgical procedure. But, you know, it's a typical medical approach. You know, all you're thinking about is what could go wrong medically and how to fix it. You're not really thinking about, you know, how is this person responding emotionally to this loss? And and, and it's one of the problems in medicine is that is it inevitably because you would see this in a very, you know, particularly if you were working in gynecology, this is completely routine. You would be seeing this uh, very, very commonly. Um, inevitably, a kind of callousness, a kind of hard hardness um, it it can easily happen and and particularly i think male male doctors can be incredibly insensitive i mean this probably is an issue in a lot of medicine but you know i even recognize it in some aspects of my work as a journalist is that sometimes the person i'm speaking to or what i'm at the event i'm asking questions about is the worst thing that's ever happened to them whereas for me this might be the 10th or the 30th or the 100th time i've covered such a story and so you inevitably become desensitized to it. And I guess this is a challenge for every doctor, but particularly for those working in this field to say, you know, miscarriage is not new or surprising to you, but it's probably the most upsetting thing that might have ever happened to this young woman in her late 20s or early 30s. That's right. Uh, interestingly, and uh, I was quite struck by there's a bit in the review where it talks about actually there are lots of health professionals themselves who've had miscarriages, you know, lots of midwives, lots of nurses, lots of women and, uh, and and then saying, well, then how are they coping with with this, mm. you know, and how are they uh, are they responding? And I, I think, again, there's a kind of psychological mechanism which health professionals do, which is a, a kind of compartmentalization. You know, you put your own personal feelings, reactions, emotions onto one side. You say, this is a clinical problem. How can I respond to this patient? Um and sometimes that's not always healthy. Sometimes uh, recognizing and being honest about this, this is something that impacts me too, uh, and I understand what it's like. You know, is helpful. Hmm. And how do you feel kind of confident that NHS kind of gynecology services are moving in the right direction from the kind of trajectory of the the nineteen seventies when you were training through to the present day? Does it does it feel like you know? 
if if a woman who experiences a miscarriage today in 2023 is going to have a significantly better experience than they might have done 20 or 30 years earlier? I think yes, in theory. So I think, for instance, medical students these days get a lot of um, input and training on sensitive communication and including using actors, Hmm. male and female, as um, surrogate patients. And my, my experience of using actors for communication training is they're remarkably, you know, professional actors are remarkably good at taking on these roles and uh, it's a very good way of training uh, students and and junior doctors so I think I've no doubt that the training is already there and that following this kind of baby loss pregnancy loss review uh, it will become even more um, there'll be even more training interestingly one of the health professionals which have been recognized as very important are the ultrasonographers who do the antenatal scan because it's often the ultrasonographer who's the first person and they may not be a doctor they they usually aren't they're usually it's a separate profession but they suddenly find themselves pitchforked into you know i've just done the scan there isn't a heartbeat uh what do i do now so they are being you know there's there's a big move to make sure better training better awareness uh, and all the rest. So I, I think it is true that there's a much greater awareness now of of the importance of training. You've got to set that against the realities of what the NHS is currently struggling with, which is, yeah. you know, it's hard enough keeping people alive and making sure they get essential life-saving treatment, um, let alone providing, you know, really sensitive thoughtful compassionate care yeah for someone who from a clinical medical point of view this is not a life-threatening emergency Hmm. and how do you think we should feel as believers as christians about this kind of cultural shift that we've been sketching out about the the radical change in the way that we think about baby loss and miscarriage is this an unmitigated good thing from our perspective well, I think I would I would want to argue it is. Is it unmitigated? Well, you know, you can you can see how it raises all kinds of other questions and challenges. One of the interesting thing questions I'd like to ask is to what extent are church leaders, pastors, people training to be vicars and so on, to what extent are they aware of all this? Um because you could certainly imagine that sitting in the congregation will be a significant number of people who've had miscarriage. I mean, have you ever heard a sermon about this? Would it be helpful for to, to discuss this and name it? And, and uh, similar to infertility, I mean, these are very important issues for, for very many people. And I think it's also important to think about how do we preach about the many Bible passages that tackle subjects around you know, pregnancy, childbirth, stillbirth, child loss, um, and even, you know, mothers dying, um, you know, when these, let alone kind of standalone sermons, but these pastors, when they come up in our preaching in our sermon series, are preachers and church leaders giving kind of serious thought to, to how they will be heard by women in their congregation who might have experienced baby loss, you know, because me as a, as a man, I'm going to hear that story about, I don't know, Rachel and Leah, 
or something like that very differently to to someone sitting next to me in the pew who who's actually had real first-hand experience of baby loss yeah it's an interesting thing isn't it i think there is a danger that's that often when people preach particularly from the old testament stories that these stories are treated almost like just parables that we can make a spiritual point about and we sort of glide over almost the fact that these are real people with real agonies and that there are huge pastoral uh implications here uh both that it would be incredibly partially insensitive not to recognize that you know that there are people here who may have been personally affected by these issues but also plus it it would be there are opportunities for mm. christians really engaging with heartfelt concerns for for many people absolutely you know the example that comes to my mind is hearing preaching about the christmas story which you kind of become very familiar with but i was i remember being in my kind of early teens when I first had a preacher kind of really dwell on the fact that for Mary to become pregnant as an unmarried person when she said yes to God that was the social consequences of that were devastating for her and that she was opening herself up to real the possibility of even kind of an honor style killing Mm. you know by Joseph or his family and at best kind of social stigma and disgrace Mm. and so it wasn't just like oh my gosh you know, there's a big spiritual story here about the incarnation and God, um, you know, coming to earth as a human being. But there's also you have to understand the great sacrifice and cost of the of the people involved and think about, you know, it's hard enough in our time for kind of single unmarried teenage women to become pregnant and carry those children through to term. How much harder must it have been 2000 years ago in the kind of deeply patriarchal society of first century Judea? And and it's actually, as you say, it's really important for us to get a, a holistic view of particularly the Old Testament, which feels so distant and see these as real living, breathing human beings who would have experienced the same kind of emotions that we would have experienced and put in the same situation. I think the other thing to say, you know, whether we were talking about whether we would kind of welcome this cultural shift as believers is for me, yes, absolutely, in the sense that it is much more sensitive to the needs of of mothers and fathers as we mentioned experiencing baby loss and that it recognizes their own kind of dignity and humanity that's been you know marred by their grief and their by their bereavement but secondarily i think it's welcome because it seems to me to be a more authentically christian approach to the to the status of the unborn child rather than saying this is just a kind of mass growing in the woman's womb and if it disappears well, you know, that's unfortunate. Try again next time, which is the kind of implicit theology, as you were, of 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 um, of how it used to be handled. I feel like unintentionally, perhaps because it's mostly been driven by secular groups, but today's kind of much more empathic and compassionate response to abortion, um, excuse me, to to miscarriage actually feels like a more authentically Christian and truthful language and vocabulary to adopt around babies, which is that they are valued and precious and they do uh, carry a common humanity with us and and that they're not kind of accidental and, and random and can be discarded without a thought, but they leave behind, you know, lifelong ripples and consequences, even if they never actually manage to live beyond 12 or 18 or 24 weeks. Yeah, I agree. And I think it's interesting, you know, in the scriptures, there are many examples, well, a number of examples where an unborn 
child is part of the actor in the narrative is part of the part of the drama um but of course up until the last few decades it was impossible to know anything about the baby in the womb it was a kind of just utterly mysterious phenomenon whereas ultrasound has now completely changed the experience of pregnancy Mm. and this ability to to have really high resolution images uh, going all the way down to a few weeks gestation. I've, I've got an ultrasound scan I found on the internet, which which is shows it's a very, very early ultrasound, and there's this tiny little piece of tissue in the middle. But the parents have taken this ultrasound scan and put a great big heart around it, and it says, we're having a baby! And it's, it's the way that ultrasound actually allows you to um, to see very early pregnancy is is a remarkable phenomenon and uh and it's it's just interesting how technology then changes the psychology mm-hmm. at least it influences the psychology and you know maybe we'd go as far to say ultrasound gives us a fraction of an insight into that unborn child that god has you know god is not unable to discern the depths of the pre- of the womb like mm. we are but god yeah. has always seen and known these children and now in a in a sliver of the of the kind of the way that God sees the child, we as as parents of societies can see and recognise these children a little bit more for who they are, and I think that can probably only be a really positive thing. But of course, it always leads on to questions about how we talk about other unborn children in society. And so next week we're going to pick up this conversation around baby loss and the kind of cultural shifts that we've experienced, and think about how that might conflict or or contrast with language we talk about um abortion and children who are um uh, whose pregnancies end intentionally rather than unintentionally um uh, again a kind of sensitive difficult topic but i think tying these together gives us a kind of a fresher deeper insight into how wider society is talking and thinking about about the unborn child um so thank you very much for listening um, um I hope we managed to to treat this with the sensitivity and seriousness that it deserves. Uh, but we're really interested in what you think and what you make of what we've been talking about. So please do get in touch, particularly if you want to push back on anything we've said or point out things that we've missed. Um, we're really open to that. So do send us an email, molad, M-O-L-A-D, at premier.org.uk. Um, and there's lots about uh, pregnancy and um, medical ethics on Dad's website if you'd like to read a bit more or listen to some previous podcasts or even find some some videos of talks that he's done at various places on this topic you can head over to johnwyatt.com j-o-h-n-w-y-a-t-t.com but until then uh, we'll see you again next week another episode bye-bye you've been listening to matters of life and death a podcast from premier unbelievable Thank you.